Hey everyone, I do hope you're doing great. Uh, Tom K here, and another episode of the Man Based Podcast. Today, covering depression, most of all, and I'm joined to discuss depression with Mr. Paddy Donnelly, who is a sports psychologist in the making, a guy with some very interesting ideas and some worthwhile thoughts to listen to. So, I hope you have a very pleasant listening experience. All right, Paddy, welcome to the studio. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, th- thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Uh, so, uh, Paddy, if you wouldn't mind for, for our listeners, would you mind uh, introducing yourself briefly? Um, okay, yeah, sure. My name is, uh, I'm, I'm Paddy Dunley. I, I knew Tom from working in the school that he currently works in. I worked with him a few years ago. And since last seeing Tom, I've, I've gone through quite a personal journey with my own mental health issues and kind of trials and tribulations and kind of coming out the other end of it I've become a psychologist myself in order to help people uh, work through similar or the same issues and kind of help get better in the in the, in the best way for them so that's, uh, that's, that's me that's brilliant uh, so how long has it been actually it was about like four or five years since we worked together isn't it so it's been a while um, yeah, last time. Yeah, no, it it was. Um, I was nineteen last time you and me worked together, and I'm now nearly. I'm... Well, I'm twenty four tomorrow. So, right. Yeah. Oh, tw- twenty four tomorrow. Well, happy birthday in advance. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Brilliant. All right. Uh, well, I actually I wanted to start off by asking. You mentioned when we were on Facebook that you're part of a or starting some sort of a new group of um, you know, awareness for mental health. Is that the right way to put it? Uh, a new group for awareness of mental health? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, not sure that's me, but I, I, I do quite a lot of work trying to help kind of get mental health talking out there. And I've, I've done quite a bit of work to kind of help get myself prepared and get myself ready for people with mental health issues. I've recently done a mental health first aid course in order to kind of help prepare myself for people who might be having slightly more significant mental health issues and therefore need kind of attention right now and to to be kind of told how to get to the right forms of support and the right forms of help. Cool. Uh, So actually, I'm quite interested what's part of a mental... uh, uh, sorry, how did you phrase it? The sort of first aid training for mental health, because I recently had on uh, Mr. Dick Moore, who you may or may not have heard of. He's a he's a TED speaker now, and he goes around the world speaking about young men's mental health issues uh, specifically, and uh, he's a big advocate of schools being much more in tune with the uh, mental health side. Of their of their students. So, what, what what's actually part of a course like that? Um, well, in the UK, there's currently three different types of kind of mental health first aid courses. There's the half day, the one day, and the two day. So I've done the two day one, and at the end of that, you get a hell of a massive book. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that one for free. The manual itself is. Probably the day I got it and put it on my bookshelf, it became the biggest book on my bookshelf. Wow. And I've got quite a few kind of psychology and physiology textbooks just knocking around. 
So the fact that, you know, kind of a usurper came in and took the prize on day one was quite impressive. They also give you quite a bit of information about about kind of the top five biggest and most kind of disabling mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, psychosis, and self-harm. And they kind of give you a bit of information about kind of the people who suffer this sort of thing, the symptoms they go through, a bit of information what it's like to live with those conditions and then they run it through um they have you know how in you know medical first aid you have the doctor abc as kind of a little acronym to remember how what best to do when you see somebody who's um you know injured well in the mental health first aid we have uh, a similar one called algae to a l g double e and that's kind of how, that, that's the process to best approach somebody with um kind of serious mental health issues which the first one is kind of approached carefully. The second one is, you know, listen uh, non-judgmentally. Third one is give advice and support. Uh, fourth one is establish kind of professional help. So ensure that they know, well, at least that they know where they can get the best form of kind of help and support. And then the fifth one is establishing kind of social support to so helping them kind of either realize or build up a personal network of kind of friends and family to help them kind of get better and have and live in a more sustainable environment for for the mental growth that they need right uh it sounds quite comprehensive then it sounds like you know it knows what it's knows what it's doing (laughs) oh it was a long two days it was a very long two days and there was a lot of discussion in the class as well was uh, so. What did the discussion revolve around? Was it uh, I don't know. Was it anything to do with there not being enough, uh, I don't know options for people suffering from mental health problems in school, for instance, or what? What? Was um, that? that was a, there was a slight element of that every now and then. Like sometimes different people would uh, pull out either lacks of information from the book or not quite the most accurate information from the book. So I ended up going on a small kind of lecture for a few minutes about people with eating disorders and you know things to bear in mind when trying to approach them and talk to them about certain conditions because the way that they're you know the way that they're thinking at that point in time isn't the same way that you're thinking and people need to be very aware of of the very stark in some cases differences between how they think they're doing and how they're actually doing and the reaction between trying to trying to make them realize that you know where they're thinking and where they're mentally at isn't accurate isn't the best thing for them the way that their brain will react will not be the you know the simplest or easiest answer it will not be the predicted oh you're right i need to change it'll be if anything drastically drastically opposite so sort of denial is what you're talking about or just would it be ignorance or denial um it's it's definitely not ignorance because it's not a case of they don't know what's wrong it's the way that the condition has kind of warped their view of reality and their perception that means the way they're thinking is they're doing everything they can to pursue a goal which you know for people with an eating disorder usually is to lose a lot of weight and therefore their brain has gotten to a state where that is the what they're doing is the best thing to be doing 
absolute best. There's nothing better that could be done. Right. And anyone who comes in to try and change that, that person is very much against you. They are out to get you. They're out to sabotage you. And they're out to ruin what you're trying to do because they're either jealous or angry or disrespectful or whatever negative emotion that can be assigned to them at that point in time. That is how the reaction will sometimes come across. And people, even though people will be coming at them with the best intentions in the world, trying to help them and trying to look after them, they sometimes won't perceive it that way. And because of that, it can turn into a slightly less than pleasant interaction with them and people can get hurt. And at the time, I thought the book horrendously glossed over that. So I ended up kind of pulling the lecture over for a, for a minute and giving okay. that information. And as I did that, I just noticed everyone else in the room, you know, were heads down and pens scribbling furiously into, the, into their textbooks. Great. That's brilliant. Well, I, you know, it makes perfect sense when you say it because uh, speaking from personal experience, I think we all sort of have someone like that in our life, for instance, with an eating disorder, but not necessarily just that. If you've got some sort of mental trouble, you you do sort of operate in this, let's call it a vacuum, where you have blinders on and you you don't really want to perceive a world in a different way. Like if you're, if you're very depressed, I think the scope of what you can take in is is limited you know and you uh oh no, you're definitely right it, it, it's a case of it, it's almost like a filter has been placed over your your version of reality that only aligns to the way the condition wants it to be seen and it's not anyone's fault that's it's, it's not a deliberate thing that's not not anything somebody can stop when when people are going through mental health issues it's not like they're deliberately thinking that way it's just the way that it manifests in their in their mind. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, uh, speaking from personal experience with uh, fairly severe depression, for instance, I know that that's completely uh, completely the case because I had a tendency to miss pretty much anything good that happened. You know, it was like this confirmation bias where I was only seeing the negative side of anything, and it's only once that sort of miss to lift slightly when you feel a bit better uh that you, that you realize just how much you were missing out on and it's, it's, it's fascinating how much you can it's terrifying as well but it's fascinating how many good things you can miss just by you know operating under a certain set of conditions that you know no no i i you know it, it is true and from my own personal experience for you know for depression as well yeah i i can't say anything different it was a case that there were a lot of things that happened that you know my friends told me were great but from my point of view nothing I had no reaction to it I had no response I couldn't think of the right response to I couldn't even fake it I couldn't even say oh this makes me feel excited because I at the time that wasn't a perception I, I, I could perceive I couldn't I couldn't talk about being excited because at that point in time that was a concept beyond what I could what, what, what I could muster at that point and yeah you you end up missing out of things you end up uh well sometimes being left out sometimes not even volunteering for doing things so you end up deliberately putting yourself you know away and not allowing yourself to go and experience new things potentially fun things and you end up missing out and you regret it later on but at the time the way you're thinking it's not it's the right thing to do but sometimes it's just the easiest thing to do yeah, I, th I think there's a there's a big uh, 
big part of that, what you just mentioned, it just being the easiest thing to do. There's there's definitely an element of sort of escapism uh, embedded in d d depression specifically, but I think you could you could sort of uh, use that example in in just about any psychological disorder. You, you you escape to some sort of whatever whatever safe place there is in your mind. You you tend to go to. Yeah, and that includes, and that, yeah, that can include the physical environment that you're in, and certain activities you know, either you like to do or know that you should be doing. Like when when I was kind of dealing with my with my depression, the main thing that I had to keep in mind was you know continuing to go through the motions of what I would have normally done, and it was yeah. very kind of it was very weird, almost pretending to be myself for a while. Yeah, and yeah. just going through the actions that I knew I would do, mm. which is a very weird. It's it's a very weird concept to try and explain to people when you're telling them about you know doing the actions that it feels like somebody else does, but you do them. So they're your actions, and it should be easy, and some of, and 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 at times it should be second nature, but sometimes it, it it's a struggle to actually pretend to be yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like you're filling in for for yourself. Uh, yeah, it, it's like you're yeah, it's like you're you're part time, and you're yeah. coming in, and somebody's got half half a project done, and they go, "Oh, boy, this is yours now. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but that's yours." And then they just bugger off, and then you yeah. you sat there going, "Right, so I think I know how half of this fits together, but I have no idea what he was thinking when he when he assembled any of it." Yeah, and what you're supposed to do with it once it's assembled. Yeah, you know, that's even weirder. Yeah, it's a, it's a really strange thing. And I think, you know, a fair few people that uh, will be listening to this will relate in one way or another to what we're saying regarding depression, even if that's not really their issue at the moment. But uh, for a while, I I'd like to... Yeah, sorry, please go on. I was going to say, I really, I really hope they do, because... At, at the time with my depression, it, it, it was a weird thing that whenever I told people about it, everyone had something similar, but no one was kind of dealing with the same things as me. But so many people were dealing with different issues in relation to their mental health that at times I was actually questioning whether or not what I was going through was serious or relevant or sometimes even real, just because other people were saying, oh, no, I've, I've had depression and it felt like this, this and this. I'm sat there thinking I've not got any of that, but yeah, okay. Now what's going on? So if 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 someone out there does kind of relate to how we think, to how we're speaking and how we're kind of and how we were feeling, then that's good because depression is sort of thing that it takes many many different forms, and somewhat of that is umbrellaed under one term of depression. But Definitely. just because the different symptoms. Or different reactions doesn't mean it's any less serious. It doesn't have doesn't mean it has any less impact upon the individual. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I I totally agree because what you know. Okay, if we stay on depression for a bit more, uh, it first of all it has this varying degree of severity. You know, it can it can completely take you out to the point where you're suicidal, or it can be something that is in inverted commas just really uncomfortable to live with but it also manifests in very different ways you know i i know people that are quite you know severely depressed but they still sort of function on the outside they still do go through the motions as you know you put it i think quite well of their they go about their day 
but there's just nothing behind it. You know, it's like a facade and they're just walking around. Uh, so, so it's, it's difficult to really gauge where you're at, you know, relative, you know, if, if you compare yourself to other people, I, I don't think that works. No, I think that there's, there's, it, it, it can cause some serious kind of distress if you do try and compare yourself to other people. And actually it's happened a lot with quite a few of the clients I work with. They'll talk about things, you know, if, if they've got issues, sometimes they'll talk about them being not very big or it's just a little thing and it doesn't really matter. And they keep that ashed up until I just turn to them and say, yes, but it's clearly big to you. It means something to you because it's distressing you. And then they just go, oh, yeah, I suppose to think, if you think that way. And as soon as they think of them, as, as, as they stop comparing different situations to other people or other people's situations, then suddenly they kind of go, okay, no, it, it, it deserves a bit of respect because it's getting to me. Mm. And so when focusing on the individual, it's very important not to kind of compare yourself to other people because sometimes that, that'll make some people think, okay, I'll, what I'm dealing with is, is nothing compared to other people, so I should just shut up and get on with it. And that definitely is not the best thing to do. Mm. And sometimes, you know, when, when it's worse than somebody else, you could potentially worry that, oh God, I'm, I'm dealing with this. This person's being vocal and they're just at this level. And I, I'm pretty certain I'm a, I'm a stage or two above this. How the hell can I tell anybody about that when they're just going to go, holy shit, how are you coping compared to this person? And I think, yeah, yeah so if, if anyone out there is suffering from mental health issues, don't try and compare it with your friends because they're not like top drums. Mental health issues are the sort of thing that if it matters to you, that is something you should look after. Don't compare it to other people. Just, yeah. just focus on the effect it has upon yourself. Because every, yeah. everything, yeah, everything is relative and everything is conditional to the person. And this includes mental health issues. And what might, you know, what might seriously trouble one person might not be too bad for another person, might be critical for a third. It, it, it re you really can't tell and you really can't assume how someone's going to deal with, how someone's going to cope with different levels of different mental issues. Well, you can't. And I think it's also a good analogy for life in general. Uh, you know, if I love listening to extremely high performance people and motivational speakers and you know stuff like that. People from all walks of life that have sort of made it. And one of the common themes that they speak about is not comparing yourself to other people from any walk of life. Like you know, in being a you know effective human being, you know, in your in your work life, for instance, it, you should be comparing yourself to the person. As some of them like to say that you were yesterday. It's 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 a very personal journey. You know, you never know what what stage other people are really at. So it's it, it doesn't benefit you to to compare yourself to others. You know, because we're all we're all very different people. In many no, I, I I agree definitely. Um, quite a lot of people get they get they find themselves getting too wrapped up in in expectations and attachments to how they think things should be. And that doesn't get that that doesn't get any better when you compare it to how other people are doing, in whether it's mental health or life. If 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 you find yourself wallowing or getting caught up in thinking about how you expected situations to go or getting attached to certain kind of themes or similarities between situations, individuals, then when things aren't quite going the way where you expect them to do, it can cause fairly serious mental distress and really kind of clog up your kind of your, your mental functioning 
about how things actually can be affected. If, if you're too busy focusing on how they should have turned out, then you can't focus as much on the now, how things are currently and not how they should be. That's a very good point. Uh, and following up on that, you're speaking of you know, how, how things are expected to go, as you phrased it. Uh, if, I, if I draw some sort of analogy between how things are supposed to go and, uh, and the educational system at the moment, it's my personal feeling that there are way too many people these days going to university just because it's expected of them. You see what I mean? That, that I don't think there was ever, there were ever so many people just going to uni to get some sort of degree. But I, I I'm, I'm not. In, sorry, I was going to say I'm not inclined to, to disagree with you. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's. I'm speaking. About, I'm trying to speak about it in the broadest of terms. You know, like there, there, there are a lot of expectations upon all people, but you know, I, I think in many ways, in particular, young people on. What they're supposed to be doing in their lives. I remember, I recall when I was at university not that long ago, just a couple of years ago, uh, I spoke to quite a few people that were doing a degree just because they sort of didn't know what else to do with their life. And there, there was a fair bit of, uh, you know, mental disorder, mental distress. Uh, there were a few suicides at Glasgow University while I was there. Uh, not all sort of exam-related stress, but just you know, general distress in in life and sort of problems in living. As as, as I, I like, I quite like that uh, expression, problems in living, because I like to look at it in a more holistic thing, uh, holistic approach. If that makes sense, uh, it's no, yeah. it's never just it's never just one thing with a with any mental disorder it it, it it affects all branches of your existence really as i can make out but, yeah uh, it's yeah, kind of a widespread and very connected issue no um i i think i think there is some okay again i don't want to be kind of stepping anything too controversial he said while well, on a mental health <laughs> chat but again well when talking about kind of the education system and, and the universities and how many people are going. I mean, it it kind of started way back when kind of the government's main focus was on education and making sure everyone had the, had the chance to go to university and therefore making university a lot more kind of obtainable. And a lot of people got to go to university. And the problem is that meant that one, they shut down all the polytechnics, which meant that people weren't going there to kind of to, to, to get the next level in more practical skills or more kind of uh, employment directed uh, courses. So when I lived in Ireland for two years and there, I mean, there are universities around, but there is significantly more kind of tech colleges. There's about one in every county right. and you go there and all you do is practical stuff. You, you turn up there for two years and you do a hairdressing qualification, you do tattoo artistry, uh, you learn more about kind of agriculture if you're going to be a farmer. So it, it very much gives you a more practical education in kind of more practical and more available jobs in the area. Yeah. So you, you don't really go, like, it, it's very rare for someone to go into it just because I want to do a, I want to do a course in this, I want to do, I want to do a, a tech degree in this, and what do you want to do with it afterwards? Not sure. 
normally people will go into a, into a job because that's the job they want to go into afterwards. And when I first got there, it was a bit of a shock because, you know, basically no one else that I knew had been to a you know proper big university. And then I kind of learned about the technical side and I was like, okay, that, that makes more sense. Because you weren't getting, like over here, people would go to university to do a degree in something question, questionably employable and then end up either basically going back to the job that they had before they started university, working in the same bar, waiting the same tables, you know, stuff like that. But just three years later with a load of debt and a piece of paper that tells them that they have a degree in sociology or something. Yeah, that, that you, th- you hit the nail on the head there. That's basically what I was trying to say in different words and wasn't was was failing miserably at it uh it's no yeah sad, it's sad to see a lot of people uh get a degree and then actually never go work in that industry you know because i know loads of people who i know loads of people who you know did psychology degree with me the majority of them ended up moving back home with their parents and Oh, I, which I can't knock. I'm currently living at home with my parents after doing my master's. So clearly it's a stage we all have to go through. But yeah. they moved back in with their parents, ended up going back to the same job that they've worked every holiday from university, that they worked before they went to university, and that they worked when they were still in school to go to university. And to my knowledge, they're all still there. Some of them went into kind of postgraduate schemes, um, like myself some of them after going into a job and coming back out to the graduate scheme some people went straight into the graduate scheme and I've quite, there were quite to answer quite a few others who ended up having to redo the year for various different reasons quite a few of them were mental health related absolutely i mean you know again you hit the nail on the head because this relates this 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 is a very personal thing for me as well because i'm one of those people that you just described you know, got my degree in psychology and then went to work in the place that I originally just did a summer job in, you know, which happened to be in an international school and I'm still there today, although not for very much longer. Uh, it, it, it is sad. And I, I'm, I was one of those lucky ones that I broke even because I went to university in Scotland as a EU citizen, as a Czech citizen. So I basically got through it without any debt, but still this tremendous sense of I don't exactly want to say waste because getting an education is never waste, but uh, you know that maybe there was something more productive I could have been doing. It's less a waste of the education and more a waste of the potential. Yeah, I'd say because I I was in a I was in a similar situation because I finished also in psychology, but I finished my degree in psychology, and then I moved to Ireland for a year to work as a security guard on a wind farm on a mountain. Wow. And it didn't take me. It didn't take me very long to be sat at sat at my desk for the first few hours of a twelve-hour shift, and thought, "I am definitely wasting my life a bit here." <laughs> I, I can I feel what you mean. It, it it wasn't it wasn't a hard realization after the third Netflix series of the day, because <laughs> I didn't do. Oh, if 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 you're a if if you've just finished university and you're looking for a job, trust me security guards on wind farms is the way forward because you get 12 hour shifts the pay is not bad and you do sweet fa the entire time you're there you just have to get used to the times of getting up and how your day is completely screwed up because you've just done a 12 hour shift right for all the lazy stoners out there that just came out of university 
you heard it here yeah. first. I recommend. <laughs> if you just want to watch Netflix for 12 hours and then bugger up home, security, it's the job for you. It's depressing how many people I'm thinking of off the top of my head that would absolutely fit that. <laughs> I thought... I'm just. I just want to know if there's going to be a, a small spike in people applying for security licenses after this goes out. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be worth watching that. That would be yeah. fun because I'd want commission. Yeah. <laughs> I'm free advertising. I'm free advertising up in here. I, you know, fellas got to eat. Absolutely. Now I'll get in touch with some wind farms. They should uh, give you a you know small percentage. I could work. Right. I can deal with that. I'm also being environmentally friendly. Indeed. Indeed. Win-win. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, which brings me to my sort of broader, broader point. Uh, what we're talking about in different words is a sort of, I don't know, crisis of meaning, in, in, to put it in my words, that, that, that I'm really seeing with young guys today where they don't really, they don't really know what to do, especially those university graduates that didn't find themselves in, in, in the field they originally went to study and it's you know again i'm going to relate it back to myself but i know these stories from many other of my friends that have went have gone to university and now aren't working in the field that they've studied i got out of uni and there was it was just this complete sense of emptiness because i i finished my degree and i knew i was never going to work and i thought to myself well what have i actually done i've got a master's great what am i going to do with it <laughs> You know, like if I if I had applied myself in a more practical way, you know, I could have been, I don't know, I could have been a great electrician or something. You know, you know what I mean. You've done something practical and worthwhile that helps other people. But no, I I, I do agree. I think there's a kind of there's a real there's a there's a real kind of everyone everyone's leaving university, and there's a really big kind of identity shakeup happening, and I'm not sure if it's because in recent years the education system become a lot more kind of streamlined become a lot more monitored and therefore it's become a lot more scripted people have always been we were, we were told what to do and how to do it from a very young age and that was everything we knew up until debatably between the ages of 18 and 21 and as you can as you probably saw a lot in your own personal experience because a lot of people went to university and then they you know, they just drop out because they can't hack, they, they can't hack it. And at the time, I, I didn't understand why. But kind of as, as I've kind of thought about it more and kind of matured myself and, and learned more about how people behave, it's kind of become a bit more realization. It's more, it's more to do with they, they no longer have that level of instruction. And as much as if you ask anybody in the world about, you know, being told what to do, I, I bet 99% out of 100 would say they don't like being told what to do like to be their own free independent thinker there's yeah. still an element of kind of comfort in having somebody kind of telling you what to do even to just a very very small extent absolutely, absolutely. and you know this, this has this has been kind of studied and examined quite a lot over the years um there was some very controversial psychological testing i think uh i don't think it was in bardo might have been bandera or something but they it's basically the infamous electric shock test where somebody got to ask. Oh, I know the one. Uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, the famous one with the fake participant who's just a recording and people progressively give them more and more electric shocks. 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying in case, of the, in case any of the audience is sat there going, what the bloody hell are they talking about? But <laughs> essentially what, what was found out in the results was that when people were able to pass off the responsibility to the kind of the researcher sat in the room with them with the big white coat on looking all official, telling them to keep on going through the, uh, keep on going through the test, quite a lot of people went through and were very quickly administering dangerous to lethal doses of electricity to what they thought was a real person. Yes. The Milgram experiment, I just... just... Milgram. Oh, that's embarrassing. Okay. Good job. <laughs> Can't remember everything right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go with that. But that's just an example of, of how the diffusion of responsibility affects people. Somehow we feel, if anything, more free when we have somebody to kind of pass off the blame to. Absolutely. And therefore, I think when... Please go on, I think, that, I think this, this means that when people kind of are either getting to university or leaving university, suddenly there's no one responsible for them. They're, they're the ones in control of themselves. They have to self-govern, they have to self-manage. And I think for a lot of people, that's just not something that they can do. It's just a little bit too much to do in not enough time to work out how to properly do it. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, you, you let a... Even 17, in the UK, you can be 17 and go to uni, can't you? Am I getting that right? Uh, I think you can be 17. I don't yeah. know of a single 17-year-old who yeah. either could get into university, because I know a few, and <laughs> bless their hearts, they try. But I don't think any of them are getting to university anytime soon. Okay, my, my point being, I'll, I'll, I'll go at it a different way. You, you can be a teenager at university with a, with a couple of grand at your disposal, for you know expenses maybe with a credit card from your mum or dad or whatever you know have some yeah. money in the bank and you just let loose on the world and you know what do you expect the, the first year is basically just trying to not be hung over all the time at university you know it's that's pretty yeah it's kind of remembering to feed yourself sometimes yeah. remember to wash yourself yeah. and yeah just surviving from the, from day to day while going out getting very drunk and behaving questionably badly absolutely uh yeah i i recall from my own uh, student village experience in glasgow that there every year there were like two or three people who went legitimately crazy from doing too many drugs too much <laughs> you know I had to... well we've all got our own hobbies don't we yeah as far as hobbies go i think that's the you know, maybe go to the gym. That might be a better idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. There were some people when in my in my first year in Aberystwyth, yeah. there were some people who were just the way they were kind of going. Within the first kind of few months we were there, my house had a little bit of a sweepstake about certain people being like, "Do you think they're going to last their entire uni career up until second year, up until the end of first year, or are we or are we not going to see them within about a few weeks?" And we, yeah. We actually predicted a few people just because of how they were behaving and how how it was going and how they were responding to everything that they weren't going to stick around because the way that they were trying to live wasn't sustainable and the way they were behaving wasn't going to keep them going for much longer. Definitely. Uh, and, you know, once again, we get to this sort of, I suppose, crisis of meaning because, you know, if you found the university experience meaningful and even as a... As a, as a basically a teenager just out of you know your your high school education 
if you, you know, you know, if you really want to become an engineer, say, or it, it doesn't matter what it is, you're gonna you're gonna take the time at some point to sit down, uh, hit the books, and uh, actually be a student in the proper sense of the word, and you know, study. But so many people don't do that, and I think that just that just points to the fact that there's there's something wrong with the system. You know, that too many people are are trying to go for it instead. Instead of doing something practical and worthwhile, I, I genuinely believe, speaking from my personal experience, between the ages of, say, 14 to 17, I would have been much better off learning how to do some practical, say, woodworking skills or whatever, you know what I mean, or some you know, basic course. No, I, um, I, I, I do think there's, there's definitely some jokes what you're saying, that, you know, we, we are throwing 18 to 21-year-olds into the university machine and expecting them to do very well and the problem is this is the first time they've had their own money yeah and, and i mean that's kind of then like a, a proper extent of you know that's the first time they've had enough money to last them for several months not just you know either for the night or for the week yeah but yeah quite quite a lot of them this is the first time they get the responsibility of money which is you know questionably the most important and powerful resource that we have mm. they're completely independent they not only have to feed themselves they have to kind of wash their own clothes, make their own beds. They have to do everything for them. It's all looking out for number one. And yeah. almost the university stuff gets put on the back burner. You don't, you don't focus on that because you're too busy trying to be what you think is a functioning adult, which is someone who eats pasta three meals a day and goes out pretty much every night and gets very drunk. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's, that's, that's kind of what we all do when we became students. I, I didn't come into my first year of university thinking, great, Time to time to start working on that A. My first thought when I moved into my university house was, have I got enough beer to last me the night? Yeah, because that that that's uh, coming back to kind of your crisis of meaning and the concept of identity. I think being a university student when you're eighteen, there's certain kind of that there is a certain identity to that. There are certain expectations on what a university student does how they behave, the things they do, the people they interact with and how they interact with them. And so therefore it's probably quite difficult for people to turn to university with the mentality of, right, the aim for this year is to keep my grades above this level and make sure I go to this percentage of my class, even though quite a lot of people do. I, you know, it, it took me a bit of a while to work it out, but, you know, once I had the attendance thing cracked, turns out everything became a lot easier. To the point that even when I did my masters, I went to every one of my lectures. I know, turns out really good. I, I'd never guessed that in my first year, even though all the all, all the information was there, like my tutor telling me to go to all my lectures. But again, that's just at that point in time, I I didn't want to be a university student. I just wanted to be a student. That's a very well, very good way of putting it. I just wanted to be a student in the, in the sense of the sort of. In many ways, the lifestyle responsibility, yeah. you know, sort of. I wanted that, and actually, off, uh, I think the first summer I was working at, at that school we were at, I saved up all the wages that I had. And while my sister went off and did a holiday, and I knew a few other people kind of flashed their cash a bit, I kept my own little savings account for about two months. That's and nice. then when I went to university, I just kind of drip fed myself a bit extra cash whenever I needed it from that little kind of uh kind of pool of money which just meant that I, I could kind of enjoy my first year a lot more and not have to really worry about kind of the financial side of it 
Yeah, that's a that's a great way of doing it. Oddly enough, that's what you like to hear. Fiscal responsibility. Yeah, and that's another thing that just isn't taught at school nearly enough, if if at all. Like fiscal oh, responsibility God, no. is is crucial. It is arguably one of the most crucial life skills. You know, apart from oh. you know having a healthy diet and sort of exercising to keep your keep your body and mind. Alive, it's just, but, yeah, you know. it's the sort of thing that when it comes down to kind of the whole kind of view of being healthy and functional, we all talk about exercise and diet and stuff like that, and they are very important. Don't get me wrong. Speaking as someone who works in the sports industry, but fiscal responsibility is kind of that overall passive thing that if if you haven't got that and if you're not able to kind of properly kind of um, manage your money, then you're not you're not going to be able to do anything else. Very true. It, Very true. It, 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 it's the one resource that our entire society is fueled off of. And it's something that the closest I came to understanding how money works was during a math class when we were taught how to calculate different types of interest rates. Yeah. That's, that's again, pretty much it. You know, that, 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 should be, that should be something that's hammered into your brain uh, as a teenager how loans work, uh, how interest rates work, uh, what, what banks actually do, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think I saw, a, um, I saw a thing on Facebook talking about how there's a school somewhere which is trialing uh, once a week kind of adult classes to teach the students about just your basic stuff, like how to do your taxes, how to change a wheel on a car, just yeah. all stuff that is kind of, when we were growing up, it was a kind of passed down in the realms of somewhat general knowledge that you should, you should either know how to do it by now because I shouldn't have to tell you what it, how to do it, which puts everyone in a very weird situation of if you haven't been told how to do a certain thing, you don't want to admit to not knowing that because exactly. then it looks like you, someone deliberately didn't tell you and no one's going to tell you now. So you just yeah. kind of pretend to learn things or pretend not to learn them as you're being shown. That's a very good point. Yeah, and there's some like some of them are very basic life skills. Like I remember when I um when my dad taught me for the I think probably the second time because he wasn't sure if I remember, but he taught me for the second time how to change a car tire. And then a week later, I had a flat tire in a in a, in a car park uh, <laughs> somewhere, and I thought, thank God, Dad told me how to do that a week ago, or else I'd have been a bit screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a huge disconnect between stuff you are taught in school, which is, has very limited applica application often, and basic life skills, whether it's changing a tire or uh, you know, having a basic idea of how your household appliances work and maybe be able to fix a sink or something like that. You know, uh, No one really teaches you that, and, and they should. It might be because like our education system is designed to teach us a bit of everything. Like we, I mean, we're, it, it's without a doubt we are currently the most educated uh, generation there's ever been, and we will continue to be until the next generation because that's that's how knowledge works. That's how our understanding of the world develops. Is that every generation learns a bit more? We just kind of innately learn it at some point. And the problem is because we're being told everything, we don't get told the littler things that actually are a lot more important in some yeah. respect. I would, right here on this point, I would uh, actually disagree on being more educated. I think we have more access to education. Uh, that, no, yeah, you're right. That's probably, that's probably true. Uh, 
uh, you know, like I see a lot of people today have, for instance, very limited, if any, knowledge on history or economics or, you know, if I speak to people a few years my junior, like someone, a 21, 22 year old, you ask him about, you know, who was, who was on one side and the other side of the, the two factions, Axis and Allied powers in, in World War Two. They won't be able to name them all, you know, something as basic as that. Uh, but, you know, they have access to Google. So they say, like, oh, well, why, why would I need to know? You know, no one cares because you can just Google it. So I'm not sure what, whether, whether there, there is actually, I think, no, whether we are more educated. I think you're right in some respect that we do have higher access to information. But then I'm always, I mean, but then you know, some of the things that, you know, people of generations below us, you know, know about kind of computers and technology. I mean, I won't claim that I, I, I sit there looking at my phone screaming, how do you work? But I'm not the most technically savvy person in the world. But I still know people who, you know, talk about casually hacking things every now and then. I'm just like, how, what, what is this thing? So it might just be a case that in in some aspects, they have greater knowledge of, of certain different skills and they might have less knowledge about other, those, other skills because, I mean, travesty, yes, but knowledge of who was on what side of the Second World War isn't necessarily very relevant information these days. I'm not trying to knock yeah. the, the, the impact of it, but it was something that happened nearly 80 years ago now. Oh, and for somebody who's, an yeah, example, you know. yeah, but for somebody who's 15, something that happened 80 years ago, that's ancient history. That's, that's basically a dinosaur. Yeah, true. Very true. But there is also something to be said for the argument that as long as you can find the information when you need it uh, and learn something on, on the fly as, you know, as needed, as necessary, I mean, that's that's better than nothing. Uh, that's, the point of, that's the point of books and, and all forms of information stores. Absolutely. I think we're going through uh, societally this, just a big change in in our in our access to knowledge and, and how we use it because I don't know especially say give it give an example 10 years from now with everyone being online and, and, and the internet being just a basic tool that you know even you know young kids today just take for granted it's hard to you know disagree with the argument oh why, why would I have to remember if I can just find find stuff online when I need it I, I think that the educational system is going to have to deal with that as well. I, th I think, I think it's, it's, reform is necessary. It, it's going to have to adapt around the fact that this information is so easily available and have to find ways of making sure that people see the, the merit in being able to remember and recall it on the fly. Also, I, I, I don't think relevant information. Sorry, go on. I don't, I don't think people are ever going to not want to know something, though. Because yeah, sure. th th there's a certain kind of power and a certain kind of enjoyment to, to, to just knowing something. It, it, it's one of my favorite parts of my job when I'm sitting down and I'm talking with a client or an athlete about a certain aspect of their performance or something that they are struggling with. And I, and, you know, I know the information as to why they're getting distracted. I, I know what is causing these, these things. I know what part of the brain is being affected or how they're firing or what the concepts behind what they're dealing with are. And there's something very, very horrendously satisfying 
that that you get from just knowing this information. So I don't think there's ever going to be a point where people will just complete will completely go, "What's the point of knowing anything?" I have Google because I think there's always going to be the there's always going to be that part of people who, even though someone's going to go, "Yeah, I can just Google that," but there's always going to be that one small person who's going to turn around and go, "Yeah, but I know it." Yeah, that's a very fair point. Actually, and there's kind of the, you get greater kind of comprehension and understanding of a topic when you know it and when you have done the research and you've committed it to memory because you i mean i i'm currently in a stage where i've i've been doing well I've, i have been completing a kind of mental training program for for some clients um based around kind of mindfulness designed entirely for sport performance and there's a big difference between my performance when i have to read off of a script and it's a really long script for all the sessions but there's a very it, it's, it's clearly very different between when i'm reading from a long script about a topic and when i've got an off script and when i'm i'm just going off of what i know and i'm going off of what what, what i uh, i can freely talk about a particular topic and it, there's something a lot more fluid when it's coming from me and not just being delivered off of a off, off of a page absolutely absolutely yeah it, it, it gives a completely different feel of yeah content uh, also, I mean, uh, you remember, I remember you saying earlier about how, how kind of the internet is so much information out there and it's so easily accessible, um, which is possibly going to change because we're getting a lot more kind of due to mental health issues and due to, um, due, due to the harm it's been causing people. We're actually getting an amount of censorship happening on the internet now. It's, it's, it's going to be questionably effective and probably quite slow to implement, but it's happening. We're, we're getting censorship to the internet coming soon. We are. We are. It's, it's sort of happening at unprecedented levels. And on the one Well, we've already had I white supremacy see. gone. I'm sorry? Uh, but I think it's, uh, Facebook, Instagram, those kind of companies have all banned um, white supremacy, kind of Klansmen and uh, anti-Semitic content from their platforms. Just completely yeah. gone. You're not allowed to post it anymore. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. again, this is this is something. I don't know. Someone might call this controversial. I'm this. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of freedom of speech. I'm not sure whether taking them off the platform is necessarily a good idea. And I'll try and qualify what I'm saying. No, I get what I get. What I you completely mean? Completely disagree with everything they say but I sort of want them to be heard so that the rest of society knows how evil they are and can point their finger at them and say, these people are disgusting, uh, watch, watch out for them, read what they have to say uh, so that you understand exactly how, how, uh, how violent and how, how dangerous they are and then distance yourself from the argument. You know? But I think it's better to expose yourself to these things, in my humble little opinion, and, and, and know know the power of, of 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 the of the arguments therein and, and and be able to present your own argument why that's completely unacceptable you know, that might be an unpopular opinion but i i think that no i I, I get what you mean because this, this this particular topic is it, it's a discussion between between free speech and censorship yeah. and as much as you can say you know no it, it's it's taking hate speech off of off of platforms it is still a form of censorship, and it is. And once you start saying that something's not okay to be said, not something's not okay to be put out in public, 
once you've drawn that first line, you can't stop drawing other lines. And more and more people are, are going to kind of campaign for different types of hate speech to be taken off the internet. And I'm not saying I support it. I, again, like you, I abhor these people. I do not agree with what they have to say. I don't agree with how they view other people. Absolutely. It's wrong. And if anyone wants to challenge me on that statement, go ahead. But they still have the right to say that because we have freedom of speech in this country and we're very proud of that freedom of speech because of that freedom of speech you can literally say anything we could potentially right now plot an entire plan to destabilize the government on this podcast and no one could do anything to stop us because that's how freedom of speech works we're not we're going not, to by the way, but yeah. because i don't have the organizational skill to pull that off <laughs> i like how you approach that from a purely practical perspective i could but, it, uh, it would be a lot of work like we would have to seriously synchronize watches and everything yeah it's, it's too much too much to do <laughs> what it is but, is effort and i'm not down for that yeah watch some netflix you know <laughs> guard a wind farm. I've, I've done enough of that on the wind farm <laughs> <laughs> yeah just a quick disclaimer obviously we're not yeah no we're not that. we're not planning to destabilize the government Clearly, it's doing a good enough job in its own to do that without our help. And uh, what a poignant thing to say at this point in time with <laughs> Brexit being... Uh, because of this, this mental health podcast took a real right turn, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we, we went on a bit of a tangent there, so let's sort of bring it back. I did want to ask you, actually, uh, when you were speaking about your client, uh, what sort of clients do you have and uh, what's it what, what is is there one sort of common denominator thing that they struggle with most and maybe uh, just so you know that might be the, the sort of last big thing that we discussed today because i've kept you on the line for quite a while now i've been on for an hour so uh if we could discuss that before we before we finish up yeah no um so again like i said i'm, I'm a performance psychologist um what that means yeah, I've, I've got a master in sports and exercise psychology and this is my first stepping stone to becoming a, a full-fledged sport or exercise psychologist because that's what I want to do. That's how I want to help people. That's my area. That's, that's, it's, it's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's what I, I'm knowledgeable about. It's what I'm passionate about. I like sport. I like exercise. And so quite a lot of the clients I work with are, you know, active people. I work with because I, I, I have to – I'm not sure how much confidentiality I, I, I need in this situation, but I work with um, – I work with a women's rugby club. I work with a school netball team. I work with two groups of tennis players. I work with a power lifter. Um, I've, I've signed, I've, I've been signed on for a few organizations um, in the future. And I do seminars with currently two of my local gyms, hoping to expand that. But I recently gave talks on kind of motivation and how to kind of, build up long-term motivation based around four psychological concepts, which were confidence, um, obtainability, realism, and enjoyment. I called them my core aspects of motivation because, you know, it's, it's spelled C-O-R-E. The kind of people I work with, I get a lot of people who come at me for anxiety, normally just in the realm of competition anxiety, which I'm, I'm perfectly fine with, that's, that's my area. I, I, can, I can work with more anxiety and more serious cases, but again, if, if it gets too extreme, then that's the, that's, that's the point for a clinical psychologist, not for me. Yeah. But I work a lot with people with 
anxiety or confidence issues. Um, the main service I like to offer my clients is just an opportunity to talk, which sounds very weird and holistic and a bit hippie-ish, but sometimes just being able to talk about a certain issue or a certain uh, event in your life, whether it's good or bad, can one, it helps you with the with kind of the mental processing of, of that event, especially if it's been something bad, because we, we've got a very horrible mental attitude, especially in this country, of just repressing stuff and not talking about it and just getting on with it. It's a very British thing and it's terrible and people should stop exactly. doing it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like we, we, we'd rather not cause a fuss, essentially. Yeah. And because of that, we don't want to tell any, yeah, because of that, we don't want to talk about especially bad things, but also good things. And so what I try to do is provide people an opportunity in a very safe, very non-judgmental environment with a person who for for, for about 99% of all of my clients has very little influence in their actual life but that means I'm entirely detached from their issues they can talk about things very freely they can talk about their judgments they can talk about their reactions to things people say things people did what they did what they said and know that it's going to have like what these talks are actually going to have no effect on other people in their life but it just means that they get the chance to say it to somebody and sometimes the ability to get that expression out there is all some people need just to be heard and just 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 to feel like somebody somebody cares enough to listen which i do i i've i've always got time for any any of my clients any new people and just people in general i always have time for people who want to talk because i remember when i was younger and trying to talk and i i, I it was really weird when i was in school i got known as the guy who could be talking to you and you would start up another conversation with somebody else. So I could be trying to talk to a person. On that? I'm not sure I quite understand what you mean. No, I know it's, it's, a, it's a really weird description, but basically for the first kind of year I was in school, so about age 13, uh, in, in this particular school, not school in general, I didn't start school at 13, that'd have been weird. But my first <laughs> kind of year of this particular school, I'd be trying to talk to people. I'd talk to people in my year group, in my boarding house, whatever. And if somebody else walked by, they would just start talking to that person. They would just completely ignore everything I'd been saying, just kind of make it very clear they weren't listening. And at the first opportunity, they talked to somebody else. And that that was horrible. It really wasn't very nice and possibly a contributing factor to later psychological issues that I had. But that was just the case. And ever since then, I kind of, I made I made very certain that I would always make sure I had time and would actually listen to somebody if they had something that they wanted to talk about. Well, that's a brilliant way of uh, turning a negative into a positive, and not just for yourself but for other people. I think uh, that's that's worthy of great respect because I think a lot of people would just get bitter, you know. So that's. I think well, the majority of what I do with my job and the majority of how I do my job is very much based off of. Based off of thinking, what would I, what what person did I want growing up? What person did I want to have around? What qualities did I want them to have? How did I, how did I want them to interact with me? I kind of think about not, I don't think about my ideal, my my ideal self. I think about just my ideal person as a concept. Who would I want to be friends with? Who would I want to talk about these things with? And I try and I try and make sure that I, I become that person when I work and when, when, when I try and do my job so that I can be the person that I always wanted to have around for myself. 
so I, that I, I can be the person who is always having to listen to everybody, who's always got the time of day for people who, no matter who you are, whether you're the captain of the team or the newest rookie, that you feel equal to somebody, that, that, that there's always somebody who won't treat you differently, differently because of who you are. They'll treat you as the individual that you are and the kind of the wonderful, unique, complex, difficult, but still very interesting person that you actually are. That's brilliant. That's, I, I think that's a, a great way to, to think about yourself when you're, when you're really trying to make a lasting change in your life. Uh, I never actually thought of it in those terms. I, you know, when I try to better myself, I think of sort of things worth aspiring to, but I think you bring it down to earth in a much more specific way. Uh, that's relatable, uh, you know, as you say, being the person you'd want to have around when you when you were younger. I think that's a brilliant way to think about it, Tony. It's great. Well, well thank you. I, I do try. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's just kind of a mythos I, I've, I've developed doing my work, and I find it's quite beneficial, and hopefully, of course, sort of my clients quite like it. I, I'm, I'm yet to get a bad review. Uh, there's always a first time for everything though, but I'm trying to keep that, keep that up for as long as possible. And I just try and give everyone the help and support that they need. A very noble cause, Claudia, definitely. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. I think that's a great way for the people who are listening that are struggling a bit to think about it. Uh, let's see if I get this right. Be, uh, trying to be as like, behave like the person that they would want to have around as a younger adult. Would that be a right way of phrasing it? Or am I actually... Yeah try, to, yeah, try to be the person you wish you had around. Yeah. I think it, it, it probably started out from when I was going through issues with depression and I didn't want to be me. I didn't want to be myself and therefore a concept of my best self wasn't really something I could have perceived. I couldn't, I couldn't really think of what I wanted to be my best self because at the time I didn't even want to be myself. So such concepts didn't, yeah, such, such ideas didn't really compete in my mind. But I remember thinking, oh, I wish I either at that time in life, or I remember in previous times when I'm thinking, I wish I had a, someone like this. I wish I had somebody who behaved this way around me, either now or in the past. And just kind of thought there's no reason why I can't do that for other people, especially when I started to get better and my, my mental state improved. I got a lot more comfortable being myself again. I felt happier about who I was. Uh, there was an element of kind of rebuilding my personality after, you know, kind of my, my, my depression because in the process of that, it got completely obliterated to an extent. I kind of had completely forgotten who I was, how I did anything. Wow. And afterwards, kind of when I finished university and moved to Ireland, I spent a lot of time kind of putting the pieces back together, working out who I was, how I behaved, how I spoke, just so many aspects of myself I kind of had to do a bit of rebuild on. And it kind of meant that I'm in a lot more comfortable position now about who I am because I feel like I've not just taken what I thought were the best parts of how I used to be, but I've kind of added in these newer parts of a person I want to be and how I want to behave, how I want to interact with people. And so I've kind of built built myself back up again based off of of those principles and those ideas. 
and I think that's a really powerful way of working around a mental health issue such as depression. I think you know you sort of externalized all the all the positive, and, and I think that makes it easier to aim at than 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 if it's you because if you're depressed, you sort of you, by definition you sort of lack confidence and you're anxious, and you think, oh, I'm never going to be that. But if you but if you externalize those feelings to some extent, it's not you. It's it's not yeah. it's not a you concept anymore. I think one one of the biggest realizations when I had depression was realizing that it's going to sound very weird, but no one disliked me more than me at the time. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I can I can totally. Uh, when, yeah, when I had depression, there was no one who hated me more than myself, which is a very weird concept to talk about, and it's not the case now, or at least not as much. Because I'm 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 through the worst of it, and I'm you know I'm 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 in some stages of recovery about some things, and I do have the occasional relapse. I do have the occasional kind of just you know the arse just drops out of the world, and suddenly I'm just I want nothing to do with any of it. But yeah, there, I I am in a better state now, and I'm I'm in a less it, it's less about me being my own worst enemy and disliking myself, and more just kind of working to get through different issues and I think the work I've done in psychology and the skills it taught me on how to help other people I've definitely used a lot of myself and a lot of the reading I do about kind of resilience mental toughness um kind of stress and anxiety management have definitely proved themselves very useful absolutely and I think I think you raise another really important point that it took me well over two decades of my life to figure out uh, I thought people that were mentally healthy uh, just weren't as vulnerable, and actually, it's not the case at all. They they just understand how to work with their vulnerabilities a lot better, and they they have better po- cope, uh, coping mechanisms for when they are feeling bad. They uh, they don't get stuck in that mindset because they just sort of move on. They dust themselves dust themselves off quicker and uh, get on with their lives. At least that's my perception, but. Even no, that I that is. More, I think it's true. That is true, and I'm I'm currently running around my office trying to find a particular book that I have from the first aid thing. No, because we talk about um, I think it's the. Sorry, this is where I get really really nerdy on everybody, but uh, yeah, it's the mental health continuum. So okay. it's kind of a it's 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 a it's a it's it's a sliding scale sort of thing where you have um, difference between kind of maximum mental well-being or fitness, basically having good coping mechanisms or good or being in a mentally healthy state to deal with things and then minimal mental uh, well-being or fitness which is when you don't have the best condition you, you don't have the best coping mechanisms and then it the other um axis of this kind of continuum is based off of having a diagnosis or no diagnosis so basically whether or not you have a diagnosed mental condition like says so in you have been found to have depression and kind of whether or not you have good or bad coping mechanisms and whether you don't have a diagnosed mental condition but you just have good or bad coping mechanisms with just the mental issues that life throws at you and, and it, it brings it, it really helps kind of angle discussion at some point into kind of how it's not just about having um not just about having a diagnosis or being told you have depression or you have anxiety or you have psychosis it is also about having the coping mechanisms to deal with not just mental issues like the serious diagnosable cases, 
but just the general crap that life throws at you and having the right tools, skills, and know-how how to deal with them. Yep, absolutely. That's and I, I, that's probably something that I don't think gets taught a lot in, in schools, and that's probably something that we should add to our idea of, uh, of, of promoting adult classes to teach people kind of taxation and all that kind of fun stuff. There should be an element of teaching people how mental health works and how to be mentally healthy, because being mentally healthy isn't just about not having depression or not having anxiety or not having a diagnosable, um, not having a diagnosable condition. Like with being physically healthy, you can be unhealthy, but not have an illness. It's the same thing with, with your mental health. You don't have to have a diagnosed condition to not be mentally healthy. Well, again, I, I've never specifically thought of it in those terms, but it makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. I think we've touched upon two things that would be worth implementing in a sort of more global educational reform, one of which would be some basic practical skills which aren't being taught nearly enough, if at all, and the other are coping mechanisms for, you know, your mental troubles, and that's, I think, we're lacking in the UK and in, in other Western societies, I think it would be a very similar story. There's an inability to yeah. There's an inability to function both psychologically and just practically, and that is questionably causing a serious kind of psychological backlash in you know young adults, teenagers. I mean that they're coming out of university with well, they're coming out of school and university with all this information about different events or different kind of chemical reactions or other aspects of the education system, but they don't know how to function properly as people. Absolutely. Are you, and the, the, sort of, please, please continue, sorry. I just, well, my, my main point can be that, you know, they're gonna use some parts of the information they've been taught in school. Like, I mean, I, I, I still remember days when I had, you know, I'd, I'd be doing chemistry in the morning, maths in the afternoon, English, and then, I don't know, history at some point. So I'd, I'd be learning vastly different information during the day and that, that that was my life for, for several years as it was for lots of people because that's the education system i'm not special we all did it but after then i i have barely used a very large majority of all the information i learned in school i i Same. as far as as far as history goes i don't remember anything um because mm-hmm. if again like if, if i need to know anything about history i have google yeah quite a lot quite a lot same with chemistry physics like as in they're all general concepts that i have a a, a a decent understanding of thanks to school but i can't pull out any specifics if you were to ask me kind of the uh the the step up equation in, in physics for kind of um i think it's electricity not sure this isn't a mask uh, this isn't a mathematics podcast so i'm fine not knowing but <laughs> you're fine if, if you ask me for that equation i honestly i couldn't tell you i know you do your hand in a weird shape outside of that not a clue and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's information that I, I was taught, and at the time it was made out to be extremely important and extremely valuable, and since then I haven't used it. But if someone had sat me down and taught me how kind of taxing works, and if someone had taught me how to kind of properly handle high levels of stress in life, which at that point in time I was having quite a few, so that would have probably been great. And then just a few other you know basic practical skills, like how to, I think at the time if someone had taught me how to cook, 
I probably would have saved myself quite a bit of food poisoning. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. Well, Paddy, uh, I think that would be a good place to finish for today because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But uh, <laughs> I really do appreciate you coming on the show and you know discussing quite a few things very, very openly. I think there's plenty to think about in what we spoke of in the last hour and 20 minutes or so. Well, thank thank you very much for having me, Tom. It it, it it's been a great experience, you know, being able to to be a part of this and and to kind of help and to talk about these issues. I've always tried to keep a policy of being very open about this sort of thing because there's a horrendous stigma about it in our society, and it's only people who either don't care about it or are comfortable talking about it who are going to help break through it. And that's something that we need to do because, as we're always hearing, not enough people are talking about mental health and not enough people are willing to talk about mental health. So I think it's, there's some amount of responsibility for those of us who are comfortable talking about mental health, especially our own, for us to kind of stand up and, and have a talk about it and say it's a thing and we're, we're okay with it. Definitely. It's Funny, something that needs to be talked about. Yeah, sorry. Again, for on. <laughs> that, that, again and again, thank you for having me. It's great, great chatting to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? I'll uh, we'll, we can finish this up, and I'll uh, catch you on Facebook in a moment. We can debrief. Cool, cool. Right. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Sounds like mate. a plan. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. And there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Paddy Donnelly, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thought that was a pretty good conversation. We covered a lot of ground. We went on a few tangents, and uh, maybe got some people to think which is the idea after all for those of you that found that you know inspiring insightful uh, interesting or you know comment worthy uh, why don't you check me out on patreon at man base patreon that is uh, subscribe you know subscribe to the channel have a look on patreon if you do think that something's really happening here that I'm raising awareness for something worthwhile which I think I am and if you think I've got interesting guests on, then by all means, crack on, have a look at Patreon, subscribe to the channel. And that's all, folks. Till next time, have a good one.